Welcome back to it. This is an exciting time. I just have to say, I'm I'm so excited. This could be the last episode of of Connect This ever of Connect This uh, because I, I haven't. I want to spoil a secret, but I got my bribe from AT and T. Did uh, Kim, Doug, Travis? Did you all get your AT and T bribes? Well, I might have, but my uh, I have a high cost to get bribed, unlike you, Mister Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> well, they do give you a free phone. <laughs> No, no, I, I, I just wanted to, my favorite story of the past two weeks that we weren't able to talk about until just now is AT&T admitting, not admitting that it might have accidentally bribed some people in Illinois or a person in Illinois to get some of its legislation through. And one of the classic Department of Justice responses of, well, let's just say that you don't say that you did it, but you pay a big fine because we all know that you did it and blah, blah, blah. And now the rest of us all pretend that that is the only place that it happened. So... Uh, that's no, how I, I wanted to kick off the show. AT&T I think bribes. you've probably known that I've been bribed by AT&T for years. You can tell by my pro AT&T stance. <laughs> and you can tell by his very luxurious wardrobe. Of, uh, yes, stuff. yes, yes. AT&T just uh, has a, they've they literally hey, hired a person. You're laughing, but do you know that these t-shirts are going for a thousand bucks on eBay? That's what I was just going to say. AT&T could just hire someone <laughs> to go to like vintage stores, pick up those shirts and send them to you. And, and there you go. Like that would be uh, a wonderful way to uh to do it under the table right. uh so uh i'm chris mitchell with the institute for local self-reliance and we got travis carter here from usi fiber welcome thank you mr mitchell i am uh sitting in the middle of a cornfield in indiana right now so indiana we'll see, how, we'll see how well this goes that looks, like a cornfield. that looks really similar to a cornfield right now okay hang on mm, there is corn if we wait long enough, an Amish buggy will drive by. So I'll be sure to I'll be sure to pan so y'all can see it. You should actually drive by. One horsepower. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we got Doug Dawson from CCG back again. Welcome. I am so happy to be here because it's morning. You know, my biggest issue with our show is it usually drives me to distraction, and I have to drink immediately thereafter. And <laughs> I can't do that today. This is going to be high tension day. So. <laughs> That's true. And I, I do appreciate the flexibility of everyone. I'm sorry it's a bad time uh, for viewers as well. Um, but uh, I am heading up to see a comedian uh, with my wife. And since I'm spending most of October far away from our house, uh, wanted to wanted to make sure we got this in. Um, uh, Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And it's impressive, Chris. Your, your wife still likes you? Uh, we'll find out. I mean, you know, I, I truly believe absence makes the heart grow fonder. And it's not the times where I'm gone that stress me out. It's when I come back and spend time with her that she'll figure out that she's made a horrible mistake. <laughs> Um, so we uh, we had a really great show two weeks ago without Kim, um, uh, but it is so wonderful to have you back in studio, Kim. Um, you know, I wish we could have ten people on because Heather it would be a wonderful regular. But uh, um, Kim, I just feel like uh, you know I'm used to seeing you in the corner there. Well, I, th I did get um, a, a text from Heather later saying that she could be invited back if she upped her glasses game a tad. So. I would even give her a pass. I mean, she's just, she's so strong. She doesn't, um, she could do, she could wear whatever she wants on her face. <laughs> we'll give her that liberty. Unlike everyone else who has to go through a strict screening process. <laughs> and and uh, thanks to Kim for getting up early this morning to hang out with us. She is mm -hmm. uh, 
the winner of the time zone challenge here today. That's right. I, even, and I went for a run this morning and then came and did this. I had to relax. Unlike Doug, I, I can't drink either after this, so I had to get my stress out at some point and it had to go for a run beforehand. And as we finish off the introductory uh, important catching up, uh, I did uh, spent uh, two nights in Massachusetts and both nights I tried chicken wings at different places. So uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful um, buffalo wings at um, Route 9 uh, near Westboro uh, in Framingham, I think. And then um, in Worcester. Worcester, which is spelled nothing like that, I uh, had some Jamaican jerk wings that uh, were pretty good, had a nice amount of spice on them. Uh, but nothing nothing beats wings with uh, Travis. So, you know, I, I have to dock him a few points because they didn't have Travis there. Is that because he pays? Travis would have come if you wanted him. Yeah, he I didn't have more warning. <laughs> no, no, no. When I get back, it's going to be on, right, Chris? It's, is it going to be Wings November? Is that what we're thinking, or are you out of town again? Oh, I like that idea. No, I'll be, I'm in town a lot of November, so I'm right. um, in the beginning. So, yeah. So, let's jump in. Um, uh, there is um, uh, something that we didn't talk about in a previous show that I wanted to come back to, which is wireless. Um, and we talk a lot about wireless and fiber, and, uh, and, I, and I feel like we do a good job of not getting too crazy about going overboard. Um, but I did want to really nail down this thing that happened where Tirana released and a bunch of news outlets ran stories about how they have um, wireless links that are more than a gigabit now. And uh, I sent it to Travis and I was like, why do we need fiber? And Travis went and checked with Tirana and their engineers, I feel like we're telling a different story than their marketing people were. <laughs> so I just want to get a quick uh, recap of that from Travis. Yeah. So I guess I'll sum it up this way. Not today. <laughs> and I think the question is, you know, as I'm learning more about their, their platform, the Gen 1 radios that we have, I'm not sure if they ever will um, in Gen 2. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, the testing was, was reasonable. I'll give, them, I'll give them kudos for their noise mitigation. But otherwise, it's wireless. It, it's not like it's some magic new thing that, you know, I, I feel like we've been having this conversation for 15 years I remember when I first met Doug, we were talking about, you know, this greatest wireless mesh product on planet Earth. And this is just the new iteration of the greatest wireless product on Earth that is not fiber or cable or anything. You know. But that being said, I am currently being serviced by the finest wireless product on Earth, just by the way. So that's uh, and that is not a Tarvana or a Ubiquity or a Cambium product. It is, in fact, orbiting 400 miles over your head. And it is spectacular. And it, is, it, it has gotten so much better since last year. I can't even begin. It's quite amazing. <coughs> Honestly, it's, it's the finest piece of wireless technology. Okay, well, I want to come back to Toronto and that wireless in a second. But let's just make that clear. So speed tests have suggested that Starlink has gotten worse. But you are saying your experience is much improved. Well, but I, I don't live and die by the speed tests. I live and die by the user experience. And, um, you know, and we'll see through this, this, through this conversation here how much latency and jitter there is. But uh, so far in the week I've been gone, it's been, it's been a fabulous experience. Your not, connection is great. I mean, it looks nothing like when you're on LTE. Yeah, no, I mean, but I don't sit there and do speed tests. And I do have a, a latency and jitter monitor happening kind of in real time here. This, yes, I am a nerd. And there is there is some, you know, as it switches satellites, you can see it happen. 
but the user experience is is exceptional. You're the only person I hear say this though, Travis. Like you're the I only just, like I see it now. I wonder, and which brings us to our our picture today, Indiana, if, if <laughs> wide if open, where I'm at, or how the dish is mounted, and no different than our tar Tarana experience. There's no trees here. I'm in the middle of a cornfield, so I have very good view of the tower. The tower just happens to be up there instead of over there. You know, I will give I will give tech I will give all the wireless technologies out there. Ubiquity, Cambium, Tarana. If you've got line of sight of the tower, it's a it's a good experience. Problem is, is in most areas, you, there's too many trees. So if you look at this picture, this is the top of my camper here. The top white little. Um, uh, box there is the Starlink antenna. So it is high off the ground. It has clear line of sight of the uh, towers. Experience is amazing. But right, I and, I, and I think that's the difference because yeah. I, I work all over the country and I talk to folks who have it. And I have a friend who has it here in Western North Carolina. He lives in the woods. It's horrible. Oh, it'll be he's, terrible he, in the woods. He's giving it back. And then I go, I have folks in New Mexico using it. And they're, in, they're they feel like they're wide open, but there's a giant mountain on one side of them yep. that blocks half of the sky. And so I think that, you know, maybe the national speed test dropping are from all those folks being connected. It may not be the actual connections, but every worldwide they're saying the speeds are getting slower. So there's also a possibility that they're just loading the network up more. Yeah, it's yeah. a really well, mysterious course. thing. But yeah, the more you you're in, you're, yeah. you're in like ground zero perfect reception area. Right, right but I think. And an important part is that if you go from 100 megabits to 80 megabits, it goes from being obscenely amazing compared to all the alternatives to just amazing compared to all the alternatives, right? Right, right. But it, but it does have low latency when it's out in the open, as Travis is saying. So, you know, it's the same kind. Are you seeing the same kind of latency? It's like 20 megaseconds? I've seen about, about 50 on average, you know, I would well, that's say. That's higher than they're claiming. So they're, yeah. claiming, they're claiming cable latency, but that's not, yeah. Oh, by no means is this a, a proper fiber connection. And if there was a tree here, park next, I mean, I, I purposely have to find places to park that have no trees. If there's a tree here, it, it's all it's all game over. But again, no different than any of the wireless technologies. If you're sitting in the middle of a of a forest, it, your service is going to be. Um, but that's best. and that's where I feel like the last thing I want to say on this before we get to the next topic is that. A lot of this suffers from generality, uh, which is to say people will say like wireless solves all these problems. And like, yes, there are solutions for line of sight and there are solutions, you know, for uh, people that are far away from the tower uh, and there are super fast solutions. But there's no solution that does all of those things. And these things sort of get lumped together when people talk about them. And you get this sense of like, oh, well, wireless is now doing gigabit okay under what circumstances <laughs> because like it is not you're not doing gigabit under all those things i just listed and you're not going to anytime soon from what we can tell is what i'm hearing but what the thing i love about starlink and i've seen it over and over it's forcing the ilx to compete because they haven't had to compete before and they're forcing to up their game to, to be in this space still so you've got to give it to starlink on that front absolutely so let's end it there, and let's let's focus on what is behind Kim's left shoulder. I don't know. What is behind? Is that do you have like a you have like a is that is that a I thought it was a display, but I guess it's just a, I'm seeing a reflection on. You have like a artwork. Yeah, it's a it's a um it's a mermaid. Like oh, cool. 
Ah, it's a mermaid tail. That's all we see is the tail. Yeah. Travis is really jonesing now to see the top half of the mermaid. There you go. Very cool. Um, next topic is redlining again. Um, mm. It was kind of serendipitous reports. Two independent reports that were not aware of each other came out in the past week. The markup came out this week with a massive study of over 800,000 addresses. And uh, last week on Thursday, the LA Times wrote about a great report from Digital Equity LA, which is a coalition that my organization has been involved in helping. And um, and found that uh, that there this is this is not shocking to any of us and probably not any of our listeners, but also has been getting dramatic um, reviews in the headlines that people pay a lot more than other people for significantly different connections. <laughs> so, like you have often, particularly, I think what's interesting is is studies that have shown conclusively that communities with less money pay more for crappier connections than places that have better connections and more money, which seems unfair to a lot of people. Well, and it, it goes back to two things. One is the ISPs publish their prices, but that's not how the real world works. Comcast, Except for some ISPs. Charter, and all the, well, yes, but the big guys we're talking about, they right. will make special deals with folks and they tend to make special deals with folks in the richer neighborhoods. It's the fact of life because those are the folks that call up and ask for it. And, and they may not be so forthcoming to give you that if you're in a lower income neighborhood. And then, so the second issue is the literal difference. And I see that all over the place. We see cable networks that have very, you know, half the speeds in poor neighborhoods as good neighborhoods. And it's, it's because it, they don't fix the problems. You know, problems develop in cable networks. Every time there's a storm and a pole's knocked down, every time, you know, water gets into them, it's over the years that gets worse and worse. And if you don't keep up with the maintenance, some neighborhoods do much worse than others. And so, and so we see that. We see speed tests where it's like three quarters of the city is amazing. The other quarter is horrible. It's like, and so, and it's a street by street thing. You literally can be a block away, a very different speed thing. Yeah, no, I've, sees this all the time, so. I've mentioned this before. I, in St. Paul, I used to live in an apartment and, and there was a, a month or two where we would have these outages for a few hours at a time and it was infuriating. And uh, one day I was coming back to the apartment and there was a Comcast tech on a ladder on the side of uh, my building, which was just a small four unit building. And I was like, I was like, what you doing? And, and he says, we've been tracking this problem for the past two months where like it goes out and it's out and we try to figure out where the problem is. And then it goes back on before we can isolate it. And he's like, we finally tracked it down. And it was actually like something on the unit on my house was messing up the entire loop on my building was messing up the entire loop apparently. And it like, maybe it was when the wind was blowing right or the moisture content was right or something. And it was this thing where like, you know, they were legitimately on it trying to find it. But like when it's this intermittent failure, they could not track it down because it would be intermittent too short a time for them to, to for them to zero in on it. Apparently that gives them a lot of credit because a lot of times there's whole neighborhoods they don't seem to fix for years and years and years, but I'm glad they fixed your building. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Do you think that it's the squeaky wheel? Like the people who are more in the affluent areas are more likely to complain. So they get oh. it. And do you think if it be the, the people? Some of that. I yeah, think it's competition. Are. I mean, I'm curious, but I'm trying, I mean, this is it's also, it's all those things. It's competition. It's squeaky wheel. It's, you know, these folks who, 
just call more. It's not even squeaky wheel. It's the folks who buy all the extra products. Right, but if it's also neighborhood and the average bill is two twenty versus the other neighborhood where the average is one twenty. It's a very or high higher market penetration in those areas. Right. I mean, like the the Hope neighborhood of Detroit, uh, where they were out for forty five days on an AT and T connection. Right. That's never going to happen in like Beverly Hills. No, no, it's not. It's unimaginable. Right. They would literally have rebuilt the network in that time if they had to. Right. They would have strong fiber. Yeah. You can respond to hurricane damage faster than that. <laughs> Um, Chris, they were accidentally bribing people. Accidentally, yes. (laughs) You know, I hate it when my wallet falls out right in front of the regulator when I trip. It's just awful. Uh, Travis, uh, do you have any any thoughts on on these two reports? um, I I, I got the email and I read through them. And, you know, I, I guess problem for me is our, our, my perspective is so small from our area and I, I just, I guess I'm not familiar with pricing varying that much around the Twin Cities, uh, unless you are. So I, I, I'm just. Oh, no, I think, I mean, so like when I got my gigabit connection from Comcast two years ago, I called them up and I was like trying to figure out, you know, like what I was going to do. And, and they were going to give me something for like 80 bucks a month. That was like the blast plan or something like that. And I was like, well, what are you charging for the gigabit? And he says, oh, you know what? We have a promotion right now. You've been a customer for like this many years. And so we can do a year of gigabit at $70 a month. And I was like, well, yeah, I'll take the slower price for the faster speeds. Thank you. But like my neighbors aren't getting that. Right. And like, who knows why they even gave that to me? Like, you know, like, I don't think anyone understands. Well, probably the price. called, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a classic example. I, I I could have called to save $15. I didn't do it for three years because I just didn't want to deal with sitting on hold and trying to get somebody on the other end that was competent to do it. And God forbid they change something in the system and knock my whole connection out. It just wasn't worth the 15 bucks to me. But I, I guess I'm I, I, the moral of the story of what I'm hearing is, is if you're going to compete with these large providers, be very clear on your, your pricing and your promotion and have it be universal across everybody that's what that that's 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 always been our approach it's now we get accused of notice there's a chris, chris they offered you 80 you had to ask to get the 70s mm-hmm. yeah right but there's been times where i've asked and they're like nope i mean i've, I've been, and that's always this awkward point. like i don't like being told no you know <laughs> like and i just and then i felt like you know like i'm like oh i hate being going to the haggling mode uh, it's not, not my thing my my colleagues sometimes you know whenever there's haggling we have to do as an office like i pass it over to john it's his it's his issue um travis you did your video froze there a little bit just so you know your audio has been great there is one interesting characteristic of cable companies we can't forget about Cable companies don't have national policies. They have city policies and regional policies because every local manager decides on the specials. He decides on all these issues. And and that's why you have such a different experience from LA to Chicago to Denver to wherever, because they they have a because they are aiming towards maximizing their bonuses. And so everything is aimed towards that. And you get a very, very different experience. In some cities, it's horrible. Other cities, they really climb over you to get you to do stuff. So, and, and so we forget that it's not the same company everywhere. They are absolutely a company run by buck by silos. So all the big cable companies are. So, yeah, I've seen I've seen specials come in when we've gone into areas that match our speeds and price um, in sp- specific neighborhoods. Um, but I am surprised you haven't, Travis. But second, I wanted to say, Chris, maybe they gave you the special because they watched Connect This. Or, I mean, you're a big the special was before I was internet famous because of this show. 
Okay. Oh, sorry. Well, that, well now they're going to offer them ninety dollars. <laughs> I'm paying a hundred now. So I mean, like you know, I was worried I was going to be one hundred and twenty, and uh, and then they said a hundred if I went with paperless building. I was like, cool. And I still get a bill in the mail, and they're like, you want to do paperless? And I'm like, I'm not answering your questions anymore. Like I just don't care. <laughs> but I I'll, I'll talk to you in December again because um in another uh, month or two the uh, the contract is up. Kim, Kim, I'm curious. One of the things that I found really interesting, and we talked about this, I think perhaps in the last show, briefly. Um, one of the findings that that shocked me, um, and you've worked in so many different cities, and at least evaluated so many different cities. I'm curious. Charter Spectrum is like the provider to like 97 percent of of the of Los Angeles County. Mm -hmm. AT&T is only like 30 percent. Most of it's crap DSL. They don't they don't offer like fast DSL or fiber to like even a majority of the region. <laughs> No, and like Frontier is at 20% or something like that. Like Charter is more of a monopoly in LA County than I would have expected. Mm -hmm. That doesn't surprise me at all. I think AT&T has a bigger name, but they do not have fiber service as much as some of these other guys. I mean, Frontier and Frontier right now is making a huge push with fiber and they have been for a while. I think they just are making more noise about it right now because they understood that their technology was going away. But yeah, no, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. What from what I've, I've, I'm seeing, um, it's, it's it's interesting <coughs> that you see a lot of communities say they have fiber, but it's only in the new developments. It's only in the um, open trenches when they get in there, not into the the brownfields at all. So when when you go into new cities and they say, oh, we have a fiber offering, go into the neighborhood that's been there for 20 years. I can guarantee you that that neighborhood doesn't have a fiber offering. And you also have to go back 100 years because, you know, Pacific Bell, which was the old AT&T, didn't claim all of LA. Way back when, when they put out the franchises, they were only in the core of what was considered city 100 years ago. So all those outer suburbs were never claimed by them. And they went to people like Frontier, which was Verizon. Uh, so it was, um, or General Tell in those days. So they just never, they don't even cover nearly as much of an area there just because that's the old history. So. The, the map of the telephone companies in LA is very interesting. They are not in nearly as many places as you. I mean, these places now, there's towns of half a million people and they're not there. So, Well, one of the other things that uh, I still found interesting was that there are, you know, obviously race and income are highly correlated in a lot of places where the low income communities often have a greater number of, of black and Hispanic and, uh, and other people of color. Um, and, one of the things that they found was in areas where you have a thriving black middle class, they were also paying more than areas where you have a, a strong white neighborhood. Uh, and that, um, you know, I, I would not, I, it's not too surprising, but I wouldn't have expected it um, necessarily if I had to put money on it. I want to understand their marketing practices. I just want to understand the logic that goes behind what they're, when they're making decisions, because you can't be in a room and say these things and then go into this neighborhood and charge it in our environment we are in today. So what is happening behind those closed doors? Or are they just not reevaluating the market conditions in those areas and not reevaluating the pricing structure? I don't know. Yeah, that's good I marketing insight. I, don't, I have no idea how any of that works. Kim. Both. I mean, you have to think that in these regional meetings where they set their rate policies, you know, race and, and all that's probably part of the discussion behind the closed doors. You have to, when you see the results, you got to think that's at least part of it. But, but don't you? Think it so may not be, but it's just so odd. Yeah, yeah I mean, in our culture right now, I feel like somebody would be a whistleblower if those those you conversations would think. Were really happening. Yeah. 
But, but at the end of the day, redlining is redlining when it actually happens. And so it's like, it's still redlining. It's just, if it's not intentional, how the heck is it happening? So it's, it's a big mystery. I mean, it, you're right. Yeah. Maybe they'll invite me to one of those meetings since they bribed Ooh. me. Ooh. So yesterday then, as a result of this report, someone said that uh, Travis um, had a history of redlining, uh, to which I then, you know, well, he said USI. And they actually said USI Wireless, which covers the entire city. Um, It is fiber that has been being built out. And there is, and I think, Travis, people are mad at you that you didn't build the entire city five years ago. So I don't know why you didn't build the entire city five years ago, but apparently you should have. You know, I actually was getting a little, it was a little disappointing. It had been a little bit since we had had a redlining, um, you know, conversation again. Apparently the red line moves wherever, you know, that particular activist wants it to be. So I don't know. I don't give it much credit anymore. You know, there's just the reality. The problem with everybody is, and, you know, Kim and Doug understand this, they don't understand the reality of constructing these networks, you know it's it's a long laborious process especially in an area like we are where you can only construct from april to, to december it's it, it just it is what it is you know so so in but, this case it was by a person that has like um a history i think of being really thoughtful and so i wrote back and and criticized him in strong terms um and uh we went back and forth a number of times i'm digging out the thread yeah. um putting it in the chat here but i I, I would just say that this was a good conversation in which I, I, I responded in kind of the way that Travis just did. Like I do, I think it's important to note like um, the difference between having not yet built areas is different from having passed them by or, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, Travis builds a certain amount per year based on the maximum amount he, he has available. And like, you can't build the entire city. And not only that, but when you start with a certain amount of money, like you have to go, to, you have to your first place. I mean, because someone was like, "Well, he could have started in like a low-income area," and I'm sort of like, "Well, yeah, but like, then he wouldn't have a network because there's business realities." Yeah, um, but, but, but people don't understand how business works. I mean, they, no, that's true. They, and they, I they, think, and you know, and so I always offer, and I offer this to anybody that wants to have a conversation. I'm happy to sit down over a cup of coffee and go through it on a piece of paper with people. I have yet to have anyone take me up on it. Everyone. So the people that were in this call that I did, I made that offer and they said, you know, they were basically like, no, I think you did a pretty good job of, of explaining what was going on. And, you know, it's one of those things that like, this is the problem really, I think is, is people want to show that they are aware of the injustice of our system. And they sometimes will just cast off those sorts of claims without actually understanding whether or not um, that is the case in a specific instance. Um, It is true that these neighborhoods are often left behind. It is not true in this case that USI fiber is leaving them behind, in my opinion. But it's funny that they weren't weren't focusing on AT&T or somebody. Well, my answer is always like, why are you asking the city? Like the city and the county have a responsibility to serving everyone that is in their political boundary and they have done nothing. And I, and I literally, I asked people and some people that I think aren't always predisposed to agree with me. I was like, would we be better off if USI fiber was only in the suburbs and they ignored all of Minneapolis? No. And you know, like like a private company that's building in these areas, like they're going to do what they're going to do. Travis has more of a commitment to serving all of Minneapolis than most places would. And, and I just feel like, People people don't expect enough of local government anymore. Uh, they don't vote in the elections. They don't really. They're just their taxes going up, and they get frustrated, and they're not engaged. And like it lets local governments off the hook for not doing a better job. I just 
get so frustrated when they attack people like Travis because it's not fair for people who are still constructing, building a world-class network that is scalable and it's not old technology, but they're going after for this one piece of information that they don't understand. And there is not unlimited amount of money that's out there that Travis can build forever um, for. There is business implications, but it's easy to sit behind a keyboard and criticize others without understanding. And that frustrates the heck out of oh, me. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I always offer here, you want to help put in some cash or here's a shovel you can help dig or nobody wants to do anything. And you know what? They only criticize the, the irony of the whole thing. They criticize until the day you hook them up and then you never hear from them again. <laughs> Well, that was so, the thing, right? I did look up. It was five years since Powderhorn was proof that you did oh. not like black people and, yeah. or low income folks or whatever. And then you connected Powderhorn, and now it's a different neighborhood. That's proof oh, yeah. that you that yeah. you don't want to connect low income neighborhoods. You know, you just uh, you just move around, and there's you know, I don't even really give it much attention anymore. You know, but if somebody wants to sit down and have a real honest got business conversation and talk about the realities of building a network, especially in an urban center. I'm happy to have it, but I'm not going to sit and argue with them over a keyboard. Now, th what's interesting is I was talking with a reporter from Minneapolis about the markup report, and they were making the point that Minneapolis or that North Minneapolis, which is an area that I think Travis is going to have difficulty making the numbers work anytime soon. Um, it's a low income area. A lot of crime it is a, a, an area of town that has been very neglected. Um, that area has not really been redlined by CenturyLink in the way that other neighborhoods were. And so I think it's worth noting that there are a lot of different variables that go into these things. And it is not just one or two causes. There's, there's hundreds of variables and 10 of them might be at play in any given place. Doug, it looked like you were either agreeing or well, disagreeing. Yeah, I agree because it depends on the ISP. You know, Verizon built their Fios network completely using cost per passing. They didn't care what the neighborhoods were. They built through some poor, poor neighborhoods and they bypassed, you know, they bypassed places like, you know, Potomac, Maryland, which were all the really rich people in DC live. And they still aren't there. And so, but they, there's places up where I lived where there were just very, very poor neighborhoods because they, they overlashed and they just, they, they literally made an engineering decision. And it's very easy to criticize them for missing places, but they would go, the costs were too high in that neighborhood. And, and so they they were they did not redline. Now what they have is a hodgepodge of a network that makes no sense. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's block, it's block by block by block, and it's. Crazy but I'm not sure when you, you say they didn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't like the term redlining because I yeah. and I've said before, like redlining is something that was a really heinous, very deliberate practice that um, that just because something ends up in a similar way with leaving people behind does right. not mean that there's a red line on a map. But Verizon did pick suburbs and generally go to them and ignore the cores of Baltimore, for instance, and other places where they probably had a low cost per passing. And that they very well may have done. So, yes. But, but we did look at, we did, we ran the numbers on Baltimore's Verizon and, um, and I don't know. Passing included getting into the buildings, which in apartment buildings can be, especially 20 years ago, was really expensive. We did today. We did an initial analysis that we did not go deep on to get a sense of FIOS and the dynamics around it. 
the the Verizon fiber to the home product and found that, you know, they're mostly in the mid-Atlantic and Northeast areas. And right. um, the areas that they had passed with Fios tended to be more uh, diverse with a greater number of black neighborhoods and Hispanic um, populations than their DSL service territory, uh, which is, is in our mind was a sign that uh, probably that there was a big density issue that was at work. You know, they were passing a lot of suburbs that had a lot of black people and the rural areas did not have very many. And so if you actually wanted to do a simplistic analysis, you would see that Verizon was reverse discriminating <laughs> in some ways, which obviously is not the case. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they started in Prince George's County, which is the largest, you know, black county, the second being in Atlanta area, and, and they that's where they built a ton of it. They, they, it would look like reverse discrimination. So, so they, but again, I, my point to them was they strictly, because I went and met with all the engineers because I was working for cities who were trying to lure them there, and they're going, it's cost. That's all they cared about. So, um, but that's not how a lot of other ISPs do it, so. Right. Um, the last piece of this, I just want to say, is I, I feel like, um, uh, Travis, I, I, you do this uniform pricing. And have you ever had your marketing people look at, what if we charge different people different prices and tried to make more money that way? No, I mean, remember our whole model is, you know, unbelievably simple internet. And if, and that's just too too complicated and too confusing. I, I want to have synergy, basically gigabit symmetrical minimum and the same price everywhere. If we can't do those two things, we're not going there. And and I've uh, there's been MD, you know, there's been buildings, right, um, that we have purposely not gone into because we can't provide those two things. Uh -huh. You know, we're not going to go into a building and use DSL or some other you know doxis in the building if we can't run proper fiber or, or Cat six to a unit. We're not going to do the building. So. I guess maybe we are redlining. We're, we're techno technologically redlining because we want to provide the same exact service everywhere. And if we can't, I, I just I don't want to provide a second class service. Well, I think that goes into your brand, Travis. If you're providing something like in one area and it's not the same in another experience, that that ruins the customer experience and how they, they go out yeah. there with your brand and present it. So yeah, no, that's a very big marketing thing. Yeah, and Kim well, knows. You, you would need twice as many customer service reps because if you had different prices, people would be calling constantly and begging for specials. You don't have any of them. Oh, can, can you imagine the, just the yeah. amount of phone calls and the right. frustration? I mean, and then all of a sudden now you're just like everybody else. I mean, it's just, yeah. That's no. so smart. I, I mean, this gets down to uh, AT&T's share price is down and, um, you know, AT&T has made so many their management has made so many terrible investment decisions. You kind of wonder, like, would the cable companies actually be more profitable if they just went to a simple pricing mechanism and then were able to significantly reduce their CSR staff and and just focus on what matters? They, they would be. I think I, I was laughing the other night because I was talking about something of customer experience and marketing and what that means, because I talk to people around the country on the on a daily basis. And people kind of discount what I'm saying of how the importance of these small little aspects. And then they don't listen to me. And then in two months, they give me a call and go, oh, crap, you were right. And I'm like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> I also hate it when you're right, Kim. I do, too. All my staff does as well. And they like to tell me about it. Well, but, I, I have a question. I, I, I preach simplicity. I preach, I preach mm -hmm. Travis's plan. That's the one. No. Yeah. I mean, when um, has anyone on this call ever called the water company? <laughs> we did 
we did because recently we got an ungodly large bill and it turns out that they were putting in smart water here and they hadn't billed us for like 15 months and we didn't we didn't notice it because it's also bundled with with uh, trash okay so we, all of a sudden they built us and we're like oh my heavens because we're, we're also rehabbing our house it's like do we have water running into the ground <laughs> but that's the only time i think in my yeah, lifetime I, called. I, i'm in your in your lifetime you've called that once. was it one, and one here, here chris is talking like my contract's coming up in another <laughs> month i gotta call him again and argue yeah, no, I, just be the water company right you know that, that's all you got to be but i wonder how much of it and kim kim might know this how much of this is also like managers and middle managers in the division having to justify their jobs in expanding their departments well don't worry well, we if you have, have one simple team. price you don't need a big marketing department at all. that's what i'm saying yeah that's a negative from the perspective of a bunch of managers and middle managers but i think that that's going to change it especially here at team utopia as you have you're seeing the price structure go up so can you justify what people are paying in these older areas versus what they might be paying with inflation and construction costs going up? So even though we might not want to do it, we might be forced to do it to some degree in some new areas with keeping the price in this, the same in the older areas. But that's different from running a ton of promos and weird gotcha no. things. And I don't like I don't have time for that. I barely can like handle what I have on my plate today. Why would I want to be like, well, we need to call them in three months and tell them their price is going up or try to figure out the billing. Just even imagine the billing department trying to figure out what's happening in that, in, in those scenarios. It would be impossible. So let's, let's, uh, let's do a quick segue here to uh, how many people are you billing, Kim? Big news here at Team Utopia. Um, I just saw it come up through on our Slack channel. Uh, we have officially hit over 50,000 customers at uh, Utopia Fiber. Nice. So we are super excited and growing very rapidly. When I came to Utopia in 2010, or uh, we were probably about like nine, 10,000 customers. So uh, we, we have kept growing and we the, the speed keeps going up and up. So 100,000 customers. Let's see how how long it takes us to get there. So also, if Mike Williams or anyone else from Utopia, you know, the, I think you should unsubscribe quick and then resubscribe and see if you could be one of the fifty thousandth customers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do not try that trick at all. Wait, are they they're going to give them a T-shirt, right? <laughs> I'm going to go back to my first customer and see if who's been on the network the longest, and then give them a T-shirt for hanging with us. Oh, that's week. a great idea. That's yeah. actually, you should try to find that out. Um, I know so, ours, so I drive by it all the time. So. <laughs> Starry, uh, the uh, a company we've talked about a bit before, um, uh, a company that is um, is one that I still find uh, puzzling. But uh, as as Doug will probably note in our conversation, is um, has is run by an engineering genius. Um, has basically said it, it's not going to do art off after all, which is really horrifying in some ways, but. I guess I would say, is it? <laughs> I, mean, I feel like this is going to be an interesting story to talk about. But Ardoff has said it's not. Um, Starry said they're not doing Ardoff. So, Doug, why don't you kick us off on this one? Well, this is a preview because I believe this is my blog tomorrow. So I, I write them up a week ahead of time. So, um, you know, they won't tell. They didn't tell the FCC why they rejected it. And so they're not required to. And so they just have to pay a fine. And so they're the, the speculate. And they were. A t you know, they were asked by a ton of reporters and they just won't say there's a lot of speculation that, 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 that they don't have money to build it because they, in the last quarter, they lost $30 million and they spent 20 more million on capital. I mean, a burn rate of $50 million a quarter is, is pretty ugly. Uh, and so they might not be able to afford the RDOF. There's also the question, 
we already started the conversation half an hour ago. You know, they, they do a mesh network. This is not the big tower. You get the one person's house, it bounces to the next house, to the next house, to the next house. And they're doing this in the Columbus, Ohio metro, and it works pretty good when the houses are close together. But out in the rural areas, if you can't see your neighbor, how can you make a mesh network work? So they may have decided that they weren't actually able to deliver the speeds they promised because the guy who runs Starry is quite ethical. I mean, he is not your typical ISP. He's very much like Travis. He's a very ethical guy. His philosophy is affordable, simple, I mean, all the same stuff. So he may have backed out because of technology. And we'll probably never know. Uh, but, but, you know, one of those two reasons did it. Um, but they, you know, the, the other, the cost issue, you got to remember that all this inflation that Travis is always talking about, whatever they thought they were bidding on, the cost has gone up, what, 30 or 40% in these rural areas. So they, they, they might have just looked at the math and said, oh my gosh, what did we win here in this auction? Yeah, but that's, I, that, I think that's the point I want to make is, is this even surprising? Even this no. is not a technology conversation. It's just a finance conversation of, of RDOF right. came out at this specific time and then the whole market changed right after. Um, Everyone who won RDOF is looking at much higher cost to build than they mm -hmm. thought. So that's a really big question. I mean, oh. Charter, Charter is one of the big winners. They, their cost just probably went up by you know, $100 million. That's a lot. I'm not hearing that from the co-ops. The John Chambers, I asked him because I was looking at an area in which they had costed it out two years ago. And I said, what are your new costs? And he said, pretty similar. We're still building it at pretty much the previous rates. And maybe it's just an issue of scale if you're building that much and you've locked down enough ahead of time. Well, now he is a little different because he has a lot of his own staff and a lot of lockdown subcontractors. The guys who don't have that are paying a lot more. Mm. So- the cost another another thing to consider is is I'm wondering whether they looked at this and they were like, we're going to get, you know, like some small amount over 10 years for Ardoff, or we let this go back into the pool and, you know, like bid, I know they won in California and a bunch of other states. Maybe we'll get bead money, which will be better and more favorable for us to come build then. And even after paying the penalty, it would be worth it. I asked you guys this months and months ago, and I said, if we turn in Ardoff, <laughs> Would they get be eligible for bead money? And you guys, and the answer is no. You can't and double dip on federal money. Yeah, but no. But if you turn down Ardoff, then you're not yes. double dipping, right? Yeah, except that no grant office will now give it to them because they are now rejectors and losers. So <clears throat> state grant office will never give Starry a grant after they just walk away. So. Okay, I'm just uh, I'm okay. just gonna say that That's I would good. not use the term it's never. Risk. I, you know, it's, well, well <laughs> from what you, I've you seen, know. states are giving frontier money. That is insane. Um, like, if, yeah. <laughs> but you know, frontier is building fiber and actually getting pretty rave reviews on it. And frontier has a history of failing at everything it does. Well, I know, I know. Hey, just look at Utopia. We turn that around. Nothing is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> you have an incentive to do it, whereas I, you know, I'm not gonna. My parents were Frontier customers, and it was horrifying and scarring <laughs> to have I mean, been I, stuck I have, with them. I have a lot of relatives who work for Frontier, so I mean, I hear all the insides. It's not a pretty company to work for. <laughs> <laughs> do they know that um, you're out there criticizing them, Doug, as they work. In oh the yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they do. But, They're probably cheering yeah. Doug on. The, the, <laughs> The public relations folks of all the carriers read my blog, and I think they write down, let's get that SOB. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is going to be like, um, 
he lives in California. He just doesn't want anybody to know where he lives. <laughs> this is this is the next great Hollywood blockbuster, the Knives Out version of Doug Dawson's unexpected death, and everyone has a motive to have taken him out. <laughs> Quick story. Years ago, I was testifying at four or five different cases at the same time against Verizon. <clears throat> and the Verizon lawyer sent her my office a giant box of chocolates. <clears throat> Nobody on the staff would eat. <laughs> we're going, we know these are poison. So. Oh, that's and, great. And their lawyers are actually nice folks. Very nice gesture. But yes, I th we thought that was hilarious. So. That's great. Um, we, uh, you know, I, I get nervous every time I see that Comcast is increasing speeds for people because I assume that means my bill's increasing uh, two months later. Uh, well, it's, it's time for the annual rate increase. You know, last time they raised the rates, their base rates now $80. And, and they didn't make, when they raised their rates last year, they were very sneaky for the first time. They didn't say how much it went up. So normally they come out and they go, rates are going from this to this, right? Well, the base rate went up to $80 from 76, but they never said that. So you find out the hard way, you know, now it's on their website. So finally it shows up, but this is almost like nine months after the rate increase. <laughs> So they're getting sneakier with how they're doing it. So yeah, it's time for another one. They're going to do it. So. But I think we're we're expecting that we might not see as much of one. I mean, they, there's this question of like their costs have legitimately gone up, um, but they're losing customers. So yeah, but but you know when they raise rates a dollar, that dollar goes 100 percent to the bottom line. That's just you know the only way to keep their stock price running is to keep raising rates. I mean, they're in a bind unless they wanted the stock to go to hell. Yeah, they don't want to be AT&T. No. Um, all right. So, uh, Travis, were you going to jump in there? Well, I've just noticed um, everyone's starting to move their pricing up. Even people that used to have price for life, that no longer those type of things no longer exist. And the same service today is 5 or $10 more than it was a year ago. But, you know, rightfully, I don't know how it wouldn't be. I, I'm still 100% convinced that. Doug Dawson is 100% correct that there will be a $100 internet here is what you're going to pay in the not-too-distant future. I so, love the story from Nevada where CenturyLink started billing, you know, broadband for life prices more money. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to ask. How can you have broadband for life and then prices go up? I mean... The marketing people yeah, moved on. supposed to go up forever, yeah. but the, the new marketing people said, screw those old deals. And so they raised their rates anyway. There was a big I old stick. I need to talk to some of these marketing people. <laughs> Making me look bad. I think yeah. I think if you look in the fine print, it literally says kinda sorta. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it did when they agreed. A lot of them never actually got it in writing. So it was just someone on Foolish. the phone. So I mean the ultimate question is gonna be what is low cost internet? You know, we, we talk about that all the time. <laughs> you know, I think I think those of us who have been around forever are like Oh, 1995, where we started selling internet back in 1995. But, you know, with the way prices are going and the way capital costs are going and the way labor costs are going, I don't be surprised if we're not having a conversation by episode 150 of 99.99 for internet. Oh, I'd be, I think it's going to be before episode 150, but um, uh, we'll, we'll end this discussion with just uh, me because I feel like on a previous show, I, um, I had reported that I had read 
um, you know, someone saying that inflation was transitory. Um, and I just saw another headline from some prominent economist, um, which let's just say I'm saying as a joke, because you could find a headline from prominent economists saying everything, uh, right. but saying that inflation will be down to 3% next year and the Fed is going to kill us with the rate hikes being too fast. So um, uh, I don't think anyone has a sense of where we're going to be next year, but, um, but the, I would expect the prices are going to be going up faster. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, you can count on 100, 100 basis points here, 75 coming up in November and another 25 right after that. So and that that just it just destroys it. I mean, like I told you, we're, we're, we're going to slow down our build for next year. Just just purely based off. Just as you're approaching my house, it's a freaking asymptote. Yeah. I can tell. So, so uh, against Chris. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're I guess we're green lining because you know it's all going back into interest rates instead of more fiber in the ground. So mm-hmm. good line. Like let's it. bring let's bring Dustin in. Dustin <laughs> is uh, is a long term uh, friend who's been doing great work in this space and um, has particularly been well. Dustin's doing a lot of things right now. I don't know how what your home life is like, Dustin, but like <laughs> doing a lot. And one of the things that that you're doing is focused on this. Uh, I would say atrocious. Uh, contract with uh, the FCC has with CostQuest uh, to build the broadband fabric. And uh, I wish that we knew more about uh, why, about how bad it is, but we haven't even seen the contract yet, is my understanding. Um, Why don't you just sort of give us a little background on what's going on here? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, It's an honor to be on uh, Macroeconomics with Chris. Um, (laughs) um, So, so yeah, the... um, the contract that the FCC has with CostQuest to build the fabric of the broadband serviceable locations, which is essentially the base layer of the map that will be used for ISPs and others to report where service is reported to be available um, and made available in the um, broadband availability maps that will be that the FCC will be releasing hopefully within the next month or so. Um, A big part of the problem, we don't have time to get into all of the um, issues that um, are surrounding this process, but one of them is that this contract allows CostQuest to take this data set and have proprietary control over the entire data set, despite the fact that public funds are being used to build the data set. And um, this creates all sorts of problems. Um, it makes access to the fabric very difficult. There are some uh, local governments that I've been working with that have been trying for months to get access to the to the fabric, but because it's under such a tight, tight lock and key, they haven't been able to do so, and they've already expended considerable resources just trying to access it alone, <laughs> let alone once they actually get it, figuring out how to use it and how to apply it to um, how to analyze it and correct the data. <laughs> so um, there, um, so there's the access issue. And then because it's so heavily restricted, it's restricted in how it can actually be used as well. So um, the license agreements that um, providers and governmental entities who are the only ones that really have access at this point 
need to enter into to get those license agreements are restricted to purposes related to the broadband data collection program. So they can submit data, which the providers are mandated to do by law, and, um, and they can challenge to correct the, uh, the BSL fabric. And so essentially what we have here is this proprietary data set, which um, the broadband availability maps will be built on top of, in which ISPs are mandated to build for them by providing their data and putting thousands of hours of resources across the country into collecting, compiling, and submitting this data, which uh, um, TaskQuest retains control over. And then if a state or local government wants the fabric to accurately reflect their reality, then they have to put their local resources, more public funds from a lot of local uh, governments that have limited resources to correct and build um, CostQuest data set for them. <laughs> there was an analogy that I heard the other week, you know, CostQuest rolls into your garage with a, a tire and a tailpipe and they're driving out with a Porsche, but you don't get to use that Porsche. Um, yeah, and in fact, I mean, this could... I'm not a lawyer and I hope lawyers aren't going to spit up when I say this, but like this number of states have specific restrictions from using public resources to further private companies. And this seems to be like violating the spirit of that in terms of using a bunch of public resources to improve a proprietary data set in this way. Um, Doug, I want to, I want to come to you first to see um, if you want to add on or, or ask any questions about that. No, I mean, he's, he summarized it really well on top of that. We, we know a little bit about how they built this fabric in the first place, and, and they were given a very short time frame, to be honest. What they're trying to do with the fabric is, is to show every single location that can get broadband in the United States and update it every year. I mean, the Census Bureau would have said, are you guys insane? It's, it's not ever going to be achievable. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, and you can't do it. They when you go to a farm and there's nine buildings and people live in two of them, how do they know which two they live in? You just can't get there with any of the tools that they have at their disposal. And yet they're pretending like this thing is accurate and it's just way off by definition if you just look at how they gathered the data. And, and I don't think that it's ever achievable, but I guarantee you what that means is we'll keep putting more and more millions into giving to them so they can keep making it supposedly better. You know, so... It, it was a bad idea to start with. This was not the way to go. It's well, that's and that's and I think it's some people get defensive about CostQuest because I feel like this is not a criticism entirely of CostQuest. Like maybe around the edge. Oh, no, the FCC invented this. Darn the FCC screwed this up big time, yeah. right? The FCC has known for 15 years or more, and public interest groups have been hounding them, that they needed to have an accurate broadband data source, which would require, you know, if you're going to do it, this, this sort of thing. And they waited and they waited and they didn't do anything. And then at the last second, they said, we're going to issue this almost impossible contract. And then they somehow made it proprietary when my understanding is that wasn't even contemplated in the, in like the original idea. And, and now cost quest is kind of taking advantage of that is what it looks like. Cause NTIA, one of the reasons we're talking about this is yesterday NTIA announced it was about to shovel $50 million of our taxpayer dollars at cost quest to have access to this proprietary data as well for a number of reasons. And, and I'm just, I mean, it's, it's so 
I'm so frustrated, but Dustin, I'm going to come back to you because I know you've specifically looked at how we got here. And, uh, and I'm curious if you can summarize quickly, like sort of like, where did we go wrong? And, and is this entirely just the FCC screwing up over and over again? Yeah, it, Chris, if it's all right, I might focus a little more on where we can go from here. Um, because like you said, there's $50 million about to be distributed to awarded to cost quest to basically take what they're already they've already been paid to develop for the fcc and provide it to the nta i've read through the list of um uses that the ntia has in mind with this contract and i'm having a hard time <laughs> discerning significant differences in what's provided beyond what's already been built and and provided in the the bdc maps or the broadband data collection maps and so one of my concerns here and there's an there's an excerpt here that is really worth highlighting. It says um, that the, the fabric, which CostQuest licenses to the FCC, serves as the basis for the FCC's BDC effort. For parties to use this BDC information at the standard location level, they must license CostQuest's fabric. So to use the availability data of the public maps, you will have to license CostQuest's fabric so we shouldn't be viewing these as like our national maps. These aren't our national maps. These are cost quests maps. And what I would like to see is some proactive movement by states and others to start developing maps that can actually be used to track this in the moment outside of this process that in a way that allows us to gather longitudinal data and track progress over the years to come. This is not a three-year problem. If we stop mapping this once the BEAD program's implemented, then we're just going to find ourselves in the same position 20 years down the road with bad maps and the need for more funding. And so we need to start looking at this. You don't stop tracking uh, heart statistics on heart failure just because there's a 5% drop in mm -hmm. heart failure in a particular year. And if we want this data over time, we need local state run open mapping processes. Otherwise, the communities that need to have this information in the states will be beholden forever to these license agreements. And again, this all let me, let me let me ask you a question about the um Sean asked this question, um, and um, the to what extent are states required to use the FCC data? Um, are there things, and so the FCC data will be used to determine how much money goes to each state. After that, and Dustin, I'm, I'm guessing Doug could jump in too if you're not familiar, but since you're working with Washington, I'm guessing you're familiar with it. Um, to what extent is Washington or other states required to use this proprietary data set after the money is distributed? According to the NTIA folks at the top who I've talked to, states can petition to break any of the federal rules, but it doesn't mean they're going to be granted their rights. And the answer is we don't know. The state can come in and go, thank you, we have to use your fabric, but we want to use our own definition of served and unserved when we give the grants out. And, and so they're free to ask that. The NTIA doesn't know if they're going to be allowed to grant it. So that they know that's coming, but they're going to have to wait till someone asks for it. And so... So, you know, because the, the, the congressional language was fairly clear, you have to use this, but it didn't say that the states have to use it. So that it's typical, you know, holes in the original legislation that, that leave these gaps. We don't know. 
Which were probably delivered. Bigger, pro bigger problem in that the rules still allow ISPs to report marketing speeds and not actual speeds. So even after all this new map, the, 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 the unserved could be massively distorted by somebody claiming they're fast when they're not. And we don't have a way of attaching and pricing data to that directly, problem. although the broadband label, if that gets done, could help there. I mean, it's money, There's money a of chance us these new maps after all this are far worse than the old maps. <laughs> Dustin, how do you react to that? And, does this do you... shock anybody? I mean, does this really no. shock anybody? I'm sorry, Travis, I'm not surprised. Hey, you lost me at $50 million. So, you know, 50 million bucks for a map, and now I got to pay a fee to, to, to use it? Fifty million would build a lot of fiber, wouldn't it? Well, it's more oh. the order of a hundred million of total money to cost Quest for the map. If, if NTIA oh, is money goes to right, better. so a hundred million bucks, and then if I'm a state, I have to buy an annual licensing fee. You know, I don't know that the state. Whoever, whoever owns cost Quest is a genius. Well, I, I, I think let's, so. I want to toss it back to Dustin here. I think the fact that you have to license it does not necessarily mean states would have to pay for it or that I would have to pay for it once it's available for us to license it. Uh, we might, we might not. I think the greater issue is that we are restricted in how we can use it. And that is even more horrifying from a public's yes. point of view in some ways. Dustin, is that right? Yeah. So the states can access a free license if they want to help build the data set or or um, report into the data set. However, if they want to use it for local planning purposes, they do have to license it. And we've been pretty clear about trying to ask pointed questions to say, well, what about how they implement the state challenge process, which is a required component within the bead nofo. So going back to that other question, the initial determination of who's unserved and underserved will be based on the FCC's data, but this, each state will have to implement a challenge process. The quality of those challenge processes will be dependent on the state. Um, but um, it's, um, yeah, um, it's, it's a real shame that in order to use this for any sort of planning or purpose outside of the broadband data collection program, that it's going to require continual licenses. And it's also worth noting here that this additional 50 million coming from the NTIA presumably is coming out of the total bead funding, right? So that's $50 million less to connect unserved and underserved people across our country that is instead going to CostQuest to provide what they've already been paid to provide. And again, it's just like in this whole process, the, the, the burden and the impact is shifted to people that don't have access to the internet. And that gets lost in a lot of these complicated legal and procedural conversations. We're talking about people that are hurting, that need access and they're not going there are people who aren't going to get it because of this process dustin you use logic i think that's the problem though with um you're using logic in your business of saying this and that's not what the federal government does but i do think we need to have a new segment on um connect this in which chris uh criticizes the federal government programs because i feel like it's getting more and more frequent as uh these programs there's a common link the fcc continues to do a terrible job the fcc <laughs> is operating on a two two even split with two commissioners that i think do a decent job two commissioners that are focused solely on their future and just trying to get clicks and and gg sone would be such a tremendous addition to the fcc to like just bring some 
um, real passion and hard work to to the office and seriousness that I think has been lacking at the FCC a bit. Um, and uh, it is almost one year since she was put up. We still have hope that she will be confirmed uh, in the lame duck session. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my, I'm deeply, deeply frustrated with the FCC. This is just, it's so bad. And, and so, I, Doug, I want to come to you. I know you had a comment. But yeah. first, Mike Conlow on Twitter has had a couple of good threads. And he keeps writing about and pushing for the need to have some open and and, and also uh, John Chambers has pushed for this too. States should have open and ideally correctable uh, estimates for what they think it will cost, which is to say cost models for passing areas that will need to get service. And, um, and that's what we should be using a hundred million dollars for to try and develop those sorts of tools that would be open to the public, not these proprietary data sets that are so restricted. Go ahead, Doug. I want to point out something Dustin said because I want to make sure this sinks in on folks. A state can't use this data because they do get a free license, but they can't use it to do things like publish reports in the state given to the public to talk about what the re what the database means. They can't use it for any sort of analysis or anything outside of simply using it to try to fix the map. They can't actually do anything with it unless now they probably have to pay money if they want to do those extra things. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So. It, it, it drives me batty, though, guys, because it drives me batty because we keep going back to these private companies thinking that they're going to do the right thing. You see it here. You see it in private public partnerships that, oh, they're going to always do the right thing. They have shareholders. They have financial gains by doing this. We can't just think they're going to do the right thing for just the sake of doing the right thing. This is a rant that we could probably put on a loop. I, I think I've done it at least two or three times in, in past shows for me where, <laughs> like, you know, I always I liken these these companies to, um, you know, a tiger at the at the zoo. Um, you know, you don't you don't say let's do an experiment and see how the tiger does with the with the cage door open. Right. And if you do do that and the tiger mauls people, you don't say that's a bad tiger. You say, who the hell left that cage door open? Like, you know, we know the nature of the tiger, right? The tiger has certain incentives and, and millions of years of evolution to do certain things. And I mean, these companies have thousands of hundreds of years, hundreds of years would be accurate uh, in terms of a certain approach of maximizing profit. Um, and and they, they can act in predictable ways. And, and it's a, it is absolutely a failure of government, not a failure of these companies that they act in ways that they do. Now, that's my perspective. There's other people who would say I'm wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that like everyone would agree with me, but that's the way I look at it. And I think I'm right. Go ahead, Travis. You're wrong. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I agree with you this one time, Chris, and this one time alone. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Your solution is what? Have the government do it? No, no, my solution is the government has to have better rules. We need to have higher standards. And actually, when these things go wrong, we don't say AT&T is a crap company. We say we need to have proper rules on AT&T. Uh, and the challenge is, is that it's hard to get there when they keep bribing people, allegedly. Wait, you say that we, what we need is broadband regulation like we used to have instead of no not like we used to have necessarily absolutely right, I know. right now they're not regulated at all I mean, if you want to get into market theory right like markets need rules from government they need yes, courts you. you need to have like you know a currency there's a number of things that like anyone who thinks that markets can just work without government or they're they're not they haven't done their history and Monopolies so like need rules yep right well also um markets need boundaries and rules in order to have uh, the right amount of competition and I don't, we don't know, I'm not saying you need to know, like in this market, we need five and that market, we need 10. I'm saying that like, you know, one or two is generally too few and like a thousand might be too many. Um, you know, so 
um, this is probably really leaving people behind. My point is just that like, I don't want to sit here and be like, Cost Quest sucks. Like, I don't think people should take that away. I don't think any of us are saying that. Cost Quest is doing something that is very difficult. They're also a profit-seeking company that is rationally taking advantage of this atrocious government policy to maximize the revenues, which is what we should expect to happen. Uh... <laughs> I, I just, I find it just so funny because AT&T has its maps. We all have our maps. Kim has her maps. We all know where our stuff is. Um, I, I just you I don't just, all know though. I mean, let's be so like CenturyLink, like Lumen, <coughs> wireless companies, they don't know like where oh, a lot they, of their I mean, stuff is. Oh, they know where they know. They, know where. they don't know where the DSL is, and maybe you just want to say, okay, disregard that. But like the wireless companies don't know where they can provide service, so it, it's more challenging than that. I, I just I, I find that I so surprising that you think that. Why don't the states know this stuff? If they're going to give out, oh, I'm with tax, you. They're going to give out free tax dollars, and and the, the state has no idea where to apply it. You got to remember that before the B grants, two thirds of the state didn't have a broadband grant office. They don't know anything about. This. But this is why Dustin is so correct. In Dustin's yeah. point, I'll come to you in a second, Dustin. The um, the states need to have this data, right? And so it's been ten years since North Carolina, more than ten years, had changed the law. Doug, one of the things that they had done was they made it so AT and T would report its UVerse service on like an eleven and a half sheet of paper, right? <laughs> like, and it was like it was like here's where we offer UVerse. It's like the state of North Carolina, and it's like great. It's somewhere near Raleigh, like, you know, and like that was the extent of the reporting requirements. It's ridiculous, right. and like we told them that at the time, and they said that's cool, Chris, but you're in and we get lots of money from the other guys so right. that's where it ends up go ahead dustin yeah so i i i completely agree like the state should have this data now and into the future so that we ensure that the work toward digital equity that we achieve over the next few years continues on and we need good data and good maps and it, it has been apparent and continues to be apparent that that is not going to happen at the national level. And so states need to step up. And since they're unable to use the federally funded maps for these purposes without paying an ongoing licensing fee, it would be, in my opinion, in their interest to start developing a local open data set that's built in partnership with local entities, local industry, local experts, and local data to really <laughs> inform where things are at, where they need to go, and how how they get there. And, uh, and the, I think the question is, what is stopping them? And I think your answer, Dustin, is nothing is stopping them. Like their willingness to do it is what is lacking. And they can do this, and they should do it tomorrow. Yeah. But I'm in North Carolina, and they have no intention of doing that. Right. So, well, I'd be yeah. curious. I mean, North Carolina state office is quite good, despite the legislature they oh, they having are. done such a crap job. But the legislature wouldn't give the money to do this. It's not, I'm, I'm not right. at all faulting. Right. But I think this is where it's a combination of states need to do more and groups like ours need to keep developing tools. <laughs> uh, I, we're going to have to wrap this up. We're running out of time. Um, but you do realize, Chris, that your organization can't look at these maps at all. Well, we could if we're contracted with an ISP, like a, for instance, a tribal ISP that needs help. Maps, right. You can't yep. look at the big picture to start looking for trends and things. You can't yeah, do any of that analysis. I'm pretty aware of that. Yeah, um, but we do know the solution, right? I mean, we all know. 
who do it, you know, it's well, pretty- I think this Dustin just offered one solution. What is, what's your additional solution? I think Kim needs to be the FCC commissioner that's missing and get. To- <laughs> <laughs> We've already determined yeah. that. that no, no, I, I mean, I think that's really Kim's going to save this whole program. No, no, no. I feel like if we could just get Gigi in, that would be our better um, option. But no, there's not. Like Chris, do you really think that we're ever going to have national maps? I think like, I just I don't think. Oh, I think I would just I would say to you know to further what Dustin had said. If I'm talking to a state today. I'm saying the FCC is shouting at you that they are incapable of getting this right. You cannot count on them. If you care about making sure that like everyone has decent internet access, that your businesses have the environment that they need to thrive, you need to step up and create the data. You can do it. Not only that, you could do it better. You can attach pricing data to it. You know, like you can, you can really improve upon anything. We're hoping that in a year we have slightly less flawed maps than we did before. And many of us don't think we're going to have that at the federal level. But, okay, but states Chris, need to do it. States, but they don't have the resources. We can't even get people in state broadband offices. States, who, 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 states do have the resources. You don't need a hundred million dollars to do this. Like, I mean, like, I'll take a hundred million. I'll do it. No, I'm saying. <laughs> no. Well, this is see. how corruption starts, right here. Yeah, yeah, where, where do we get this checkbook at? Yeah, Travis cowboy. was honest when we made the deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the the thing to understand is states have resources, and not and different states have different things, right? Minnesota has nine billion dollars, potentially eleven or twelve billion dollars of budget surplus. There is no reason. The reason Minnesota does not have better data is because they do not take it seriously. They just want Comcast and CenturyLink, maybe AT and T, and a few others to solve this for them. They don't take it seriously. That is the issue. Not that they don't have money. The states refuse to put money. States put money into stupid things that have far less of an economic return uh, on our lives than broadband, right? I mean, like, think of all the money they put into sports stadiums for entertainment, which is valuable. I agree. But it would be more valuable to make sure that kids have a freaking connection in their home, whether they're in rural or urban areas. Okay, that yeah. was that was Chris's macroeconomic rant of the show. Because these states, the private sector is delivering. That's what you keep hearing. The private sector will deliver. So why would they bother doing maps when they have no problem? I think we need that head. We need to have a permanent head in the stand, like ostrich graphic that we can throw up at a moment's notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's not lose fact of the matter that um, maybe other than Kim. All of us are on private networks right now. Right. I am. Yeah, no, they, what, what, Doug, what is the stat? What is the stat? Like 95%, 90% of, 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 of people on broadband in the U.S. are in the top like 10 cable and telephone companies, probably on that order? The cable company, just Charter and Comcast alone have 55% of all cable customers in the u.s in california i think in california i think it's 95% of people on broadband get it from one of five companies uh, right, and that's because right. and that's and that's in part because of a history of 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 poor regulation because yeah. people in congress and the states said if we just let these private companies do whatever they want then we'll end up in a better place and those companies combined and we ended up in a worse place we have better connection than we did 20 years ago but if we'd gone down a, a better path we would be in a much better position right now Hold on. Much better position than having a streaming content show like this that people are using cable, satellite networks, wireless networks, and everything to produce. Let's let's not lose focus how far we've come since 1995. This is pretty amazing what we have going on right now. Well, 
I think there's a lot of things, and this is the thing that the cable and telephone lobbyists will try to conflate, is the difference between how cool it is that we have this different software and the fact that our networks are faster with a question about what if we had more competition and so you had more of a desire to invest? If Bruce Kushnick was here right now, he would remind us that we allowed the telephone companies to raise their telephone rates, regulated rates at the time, to, to much higher levels in return for a promise that they would build higher quality networks out to everyone. And then the states said, you don't have to do it anymore. When they, when they said, you know what? It turns out it's hard to do that. And the states said, cool, you don't have to do it anymore. So like, there's a lot of ways in which we have put far more money than is necessary into the pockets of a few executives and a bunch of shareholders, including my 401k, I'm sure, like because we have allowed those companies to run away with resources that should have been used to build better networks. Oh, Dustin, I think, had to um, actually do productive things rather than listen to me shouting. I think well, maybe that's, that's my argument back to you. These networks are highly productive the way it is. So it's, it's the question is, you, you always teeter on the fact of, is it cost? Because I think we need to get it through everyone. This is not going to get cheaper. Oh, you I know, actually think, no, I think it could get cheaper. Let's be clear. Like, like it is no not going to get. No way. So Longmont, Colorado launched, uh, what, seven years ago? And they said 50 bucks for life for gigabit. And people were like, not everyone. Some people were like, that's cool. Other people were like, you crazy. You creep. You people are nuts. And you're going to be going in 10 years. You're going to be out of business. And they are in a position where when I talk to them, they are more aggressive about saying we might lower our rates before we would raise them because we are doing so well. And so, Travis, you've said this before, like if you if you stop building, you could lower your rates. You, you might, in fact, if you face some sort of weird competition, you would cut back on your build rate and you would lower your rates. The reason that companies like you offer the rates that are at the similar level of the Comcast and the AT&Ts and whatnot is not because of your costs. It is because of what you're turning around and putting into new plant. And so like that is is the issue, whereas over time we can actually lower the rates because of the operating costs of these networks, I think. Doug, I'm going to tell me I'm wrong. No, you're right. <clears throat> There's a huge amount of profit in the big ISPs. I mean, it's so much margin. It's unbelievable. You can tell it's tens of billions of dollars a year. Right. right. <laughs> divide that by the number of people, it's a lot. <clears throat> it's like it, it networks <clears throat> my size and Kim's size. I mean, just just health insurance alone went up 20% last year for our group. Yeah. You know, the cost of capital. So, so the, the so utopia. How much does that compare to your build budget for next year? It's It's oh. what, like 1%? The interest of, is a lot of his bill. No, no, the interest. <clears throat> well, you take the interest, the cost of materials, the cost of labor, health insurance, the, the price of bacon nowadays. I mean, it's through the roof. There's no, the days of $20 internet are gone. Oh, I agree. We're not going to see yeah. $20 internet. We might not see $50 internet, yeah. but I think you know, $55, $60 internet right now is sustainable. Uh, you know, pretty, oh, okay. I don't disagree with you there, but I always get the sense everyone's like, internet. I remember, needs- I'm paying 100 but yeah. okay, <laughs> I'd love to, I'd love to charge you a hundred. That'd be amazing. If, if, I would pay I, you a hundred. If I had a hundred dollars a month, oh my god, yeah. Well, not everyone would pay you a hundred. I would pay you a hundred. Is fifty or sixty dollars a month sustainable for somebody who's building a network today? If not forever. Have, not yeah. for building the new network. Yeah, While you're so building the network, you have the pressure. Network, yes. Then you can make that happen. And I think that is where you were kind of going, Chris. It's a different situation of. If you're stopping to build now and just maintaining and like having a cost structure, that could work. But how many of us 
are out there not building anymore besides the big right. That's my point is that Comcast is increasing its passings by what one or two percent a year, maybe on like an aggressive year, probably less. Like they're not in a situation like Travis's, right? Like they charge a ton because they can. If Travis, if Travis, if like over the next five years, Travis got a ton of money from the state of Minnesota to build out everywhere he wanted to build and he finished building out the year after that. Like, yeah, your, your health insurance would still go up because we're never going to solve this freaking problem from what I can tell in the United States. Like, you know, like other costs are going to go up, but you're still not going to be like, I have to increase my rates to $100 a month. You would be like, no, like I can run this network, you know, at a reasonable cost to people because you're not trying to figure out how to make a $30 million salary, Travis. No, I, I, I don't disagree with you there, but, but you got to remember Kim's network size and, and ours is very similar in size. We're in a very different economic situation. Mm -hmm than the operators that have 1500 subscribers. No, I agree. And I think that's important. And also in very rural areas, you're not getting it for 50 bucks a month in super rural areas. Probably there's a bunch of, of edge cases. I agree with let's, we got to wrap it up though. Doug, um, why don't you have, you've been uncharacteristically quiet. (laughs) I, I'm so sad that you just drove away our guests because I was going to ask to see what was on his t-shirt because that's important for this show, but he's gone. (laughs) Yeah. No, I asked him to come on for 15 minutes and then, uh, you know, we, we took it away and uh, he stayed until he stayed until the rant. (laughs) (laughs) He left he did leave a note there. Um, and I deeply appreciate uh, Dustin coming on. And Dustin's been doing really great work. He's um, uh, Marconi Society, and and he are um, uh, part of a, um, a mapping coalition. So people want more interest. I suggest looking him up uh, personally. Um, we have to. We're gonna have to get out. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, Doug's post on rural America is losing patience. I think that's terrific. Uh, highly recommend people check it out. And I think that's a dynamic. And I think it could be followed shortly thereafter by urban people are losing patience oh. <laughs> as prices go up and pe- everyone thinks their broadband's getting better. And most people aren't gonna see a change. Uh, so. Um, this is, uh, this was fun. Uh, you know, I think, um, I probably got a little too ranty in the middle. Um, maybe we'll cut part of that out and make a shorter version of it no, where no, I'm not no, no, going no, on no. about market theory, which I need to, I need an editor that will just tell me I need a shut up button. Um, but, uh, I really appreciate, uh, people making time this morning and, and having this conversation. Uh, it's been wonderful to talk and talk about these topics. I do want to point out the last 15 minutes, Travis's internet's come in and out and in and out and in and out. It's oh, not that, that, sorry, sorry. That's been me doing that. Because um, ah. uh, we're, we're going to do a, a little YouTube video after this. So I was kind of talking. Sorry, I was okay. multitasking here. But I want to uh, I want to commend Team Starlink. Well done. Well done. This is the best mobile internet to date. So hopefully it keeps getting better. 150 a month, too, by the way, Chris. Just so you know. Oh, it's 150. Or 135 or something. I thought it was 100 and then went to 110. What am I missing? He's, he's paying for the version the of the I, I can turn it off when I'm not using it. So, yeah. yeah. All right. There you go. And Let us know when you get some Kevin, cats up there in the winter. 50 large, right, Kim? Well done. <laughs> woo, woo. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. Uh, Kim and I are going to be the traveling core um, at some shows next year, I think. And uh, if we can get Travis and Doug there, we're going to do that. But uh, we do want to take this show on the road, including to events like Net Inclusion and things like Fiber that. Connect. So, Let's do Fiber Connect. Sounds good. All right. See you guys. Thank you. Well All done. Right, this has been another fun episode of Chris Rants a Lot About Macroeconomics. <laughs> and connect this. Connect this.